Hello and welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast. What's going on, guys? I want to jump right into the interview today. We have so much to talk about. Week two of the NFL and college football seasons meant Oklahoma State played their first college football game. The Dallas Cowboys are 1-1 one and one after one of the craziest finishes I've ever seen. The Thunder's former coach has a new home. Former Oklahoma quarterbacks, one on the rise and one with a big question mark. We'll talk about all of that with today's guest. Just a reminder, every Saturday throughout the football season, two hours before OU's kickoff, Mike Steely and I have pregame coverage. So make sure you tune into our live stream once again, two hours before every kickoff. I will post the link on my Twitter account, Colby underscore Daniels. And on my Facebook account, you can search Colby Daniels Media and you'll find the link there as well. But look for that two hours before kickoff is when we launch and we will have game day coverage for you every Saturday, two hours prior to kickoff. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the podcast. You can rate the podcast, review the podcast, and share the podcast with your friends. As always, you can contact me via Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels. Instagram, Colby.Daniels. Always love hearing from you guys. Here he is, our guest. He is a friend. He is the sports director at KOCO Channel 5. And he is now a father. Welcome to the show, Brian Keating. Brian, you are now in the dad club. Are you sleeping? What's been the biggest adjustment so far? Um, yeah, I'm sleeping better than my wife is. She's been the champ, man, <laughs> for sure. Um, I'm sleeping a lot better than her. You know, we've kind of figured it out a little bit where... I'll sleep a a pretty big block and we'll do a little bit of uh, shift work. So our sleeping really consists over about 12 or 13 hours, whether it's her or me, but man, she's the one that's been interrupted. The rest of it's been awesome. Um, Downtime, there is not much. You know, (laughs) there's some times you get home, you're just like, but I just need like five minutes. And then he's screaming and whatever, but um, that's part of it. So we're getting used to it. Yeah, it's it's a whole new world that you do, you really aren't prepared for until you're thrown into it, and then it's just all go and no break, and you just got to like, like you don't have another option. You just have to suck it up and, and get through it. Yeah, man, you're not prepared for it, and there's no like lean into it. I mean, it's just <laughs> zero to 100, you know? You're doing really good as you go into the delivery room, and I remember, you know, you sit there and nothing's happening. You're like, oh, this is easy doing great and then boom oh my god life changed a lot you know but no it's been good we were so carter was born on a monday and by the following friday we were still like at the hospital or the delivery place that we had picked over by lakeside off of hefner parkway and by like day five of being in there i was like we're leaving and they didn't want to like release us yet because he wasn't eating consistently at that point. Uh, and so that was the big worry. And I, I had slept on that couch in that room for like four or five nights in a row. And he he's not eating. He's crying all day because he's hungry and we couldn't get him to, to start getting anything in his body. And finally, I was just like, we are out the door. Like I, I like I didn't like lose my shit, but they could tell like my frustration was at the boiling point. And so at one point I left the room and they asked Lauren, they were like, are, are you okay to go with him? Like, <laughs> like, is he forcing you to leave when you don't want to? But we, we would, we had just been stuck in this one room with a newborn for five days straight. Yeah. And we were both just ready to get home and get in our comfort zone. And, uh, it, it, it actually got way better at that point, but those first five days, it, good Lord, it was crazy. 
Yeah, we were in the we were in the hospital for four days, and we had a little bit of a, a tough delivery as far as that goes. And you know, with all the COVID restrictions, we couldn't have people coming yeah. in and out, so there wasn't a lot of help. This, that, and the other, and so um, that was a tough deal getting in and out of the hospital. And obviously, once you get home, it's a lot better deal. Although at some point, all the help that's there right at the beginning goes home themselves. They're like what do I do now? Oh my gosh. <laughs> now it really hits. It's kind of where we are. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So the last time I saw you, we were actually at a Buffalo Wild Wings watching the, uh, what was yeah. it? Fury Wilder championship fight. And that was like a week before everything shut down. And you right. guys had actually broke the news that night that, that you guys were pregnant and having a baby and all that good stuff. And so Basically, you you like went from hey everybody we're having a baby to everybody's locked down and you had to kind of go through this during the craziest maybe six month stretch of our lives. Yeah, that was nuts, man. Um, and that was kind of hard because you couldn't see anybody and you couldn't go anywhere. And it, I mean, it probably worked out okay with her being pregnant. We were going to be home anyways. Um, it might have been better for us to have had the baby at that point because you can't go anywhere. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that, that, that's been different. I think that's been the hardest thing for us is that we can't see anybody, you know? I mean, even now, I know that the world is kind of, especially in Oklahoma, a lot of people are kind of back to normal and, you know, we got a newborn. We can't, we can't do that. And, you know, some, a lot of my family hadn't even seen him yet. So that's been the hardest part of this COVID deal with trying to have a baby and then having a baby and now it's new and, you know, her mom came to visit, especially at, at the first, and we made everybody get a COVID test. It's yeah. like, God, you feel so guilty just yeah. saying, mom, got to get a COVID test before you can come to, come to the house. It seems so ridiculous, but that's kind of the way it's been, and no one knows what to do, and here we are. Yeah, I mean, you have a newborn, and, and unless you're 100% sure that nothing yeah. is going to happen, you have to take every precaution you can. Yeah, I, I don't blame you at all, but I, I get the sentiment of – of maybe feeling guilty, but I mean, you have to, you have to do what you have to do. And I, you know, you can't apologize for it. Well, that's what we've tried to do. And so, you know, I think we've gotten to a point where we've eased up a little bit with kind of the, you know, immediate family yeah. and especially, you know, his uh, immune system almost three months is a little bit better than it, than it was. Right. And, um, you know, not for COVID, but you know, kids don't really get that. So, um, we're, we're, we're easing into it a little bit. How about that? There you go. Well, one thing we're not easing into is the sports climate at the moment because we have, I, I don't know if you watch hockey at all, but we have Stanley Cup finals happening. We have NBA semifinals happening. It's the final week of the regular season for Major League Baseball before we have this expanded baseball playoffs. College football is about to have its its first real weekend uh, collectively with everybody for the most part involved. The NFL is already in full swing. Like it is, we have everything basically pedal to the metal. It's awesome. It is awesome. I mean, that's the one thing that COVID gave us is that it gave us every single night of the week, there's like a semifinal game or a finals game or a big college football game or NFL on a different night, uh, big UFC that's that's been going on. I, that's That part of it's been pretty awesome now. Boy, we were high and dry for a long time. But, you know, being able to watch something every single night of the week that's important, um, I, I, I can get used to that part of it, man, for sure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, like we ha we all had that, that time out where we could, like, catch up on all the Netflix shows that we may miss. 
with our sports <laughs> calendars. And, and so right about the time that I had watched everything that I wanted to watch and, and run out of series and everything else on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and all that other good stuff, we got the, the sports reboot. And you know, I didn't even mention, like, we've had two golf majors now. Uh, yeah. You know, tennis majors. We just had, what, the U.S. Open, yeah. like, a week ago? Open. Like, it's crazy how much is happening all at the same time. And it's it's like... Every day, I've joked about this several times, but every day I almost feel like I have FOMO when the day starts because I look at the sports calendar and I'm like, how am I going to fit all this in? Because there's so much that I want to watch. No, that's right. And and the funny thing is you asked me about hockey. I don't watch a lot of hockey, but, you know, once we get to the Stanley Cup and once we get to the serious, you know, playoffs, I'll tune in just kind of as a casual observer. And I just kind of thought I've done zero of that really this year because I don't have to. There's a million other things going on. Yeah. Normally, you know, that's kind of like my off time, like NBA's not playing or um, whatever. It's not college football Saturday night. I'll tune into the hockey, especially, you know, second period. You get to a close game in the third. Like, yeah, absolutely. I'm dying in, and I haven't done any of that really. Um, even it, since it's Dallas, you would think I'm a fan of all the other Dallas teams. They all stink. I guess the Cowboys are okay maybe, but um, the Rangers are brutal and – whatever. So um, you would think I would have gotten into that, but I think just having everything happening all at the same time, I, I hadn't really done that. Let's Maybe get, I should. Yeah, you probably should. It's, I mean, it's, it's been pretty great, but, but like you, I feel like I've had to cut back. I, I'm normally a hockey fan. I, I, I have rooting interest. I'm a big Blackhawks fan. So that usually right. helps when they're in the mix, they were wiped out early, but I still really enjoy the Stanley cup playoff, but the fact that it's happening with all this other stuff, I've not watched nearly as much of it as I normally would. And it just kind of becomes a, a situation where you have to pick and choose wisely what you're going to consume because there's so much going on. I think that's it. A lot of out on my back patio and, um, you know, the NBA game will start at seven o'clock, you know, especially if it's like the Eastern conference playoffs. And so you go, all right, that's off. Oh, it's second period of the hockey game. Awesome. All right. I'm in live sports at you know 10 30 at night i'm in you know we can catch the west coast game so that's usually what happens but something's been happening every day and i'm not starved for uh content to for stuff to watch and so i really hadn't seen much of it but i know uh i probably ought to tune in so what what do we play two games yeah. one game yeah two games two games so i probably ought to tune in yeah. Just as a casual observer, man. Well, it I just like depends. Yeah, it depends you know what I mean? night it falls on, though, because you may be rivaling like an elimination game in the NBA semifinals. You may be, yeah. and especially if it's on the weekend, like it's it's going to be. As much as I love hockey, and as much as I love the Stanley Cup final, it's hard for me to tune into anything that's rivaling a football game of any sort. Yeah, I'm, I'm with that. I mean, um, I'm going to watch the uh, college football primetime game on Saturday night. Now, maybe if it falls, but I think now it's not going to really fall in that Pac-12 after dark slot. Um, everything's going to be over by then, but I'm watching football instead of hockey. Just It's just the way it's going to be. Same. All right, let's cannonball into Big 12 football. And oh, we, boy, we do can... we have to? <laughs> this, I, you know what? I've actually been really excited to hear your thoughts on what we saw on Saturday because I, for yeah. the most part – I think we all kind of went into the season with the same expectations of Oklahoma State. And what we saw Saturday was a complete disaster. And I'm curious to know from the people that felt a lot like me that Oklahoma State was probably the second best team or even, I don't know, some people may have thought they were the best team entering this year. 
I had them squarely at number two, and I felt like there was a pretty decent gap between Oklahoma and then Oklahoma State and everybody else. What we saw on Saturday has me really concerned about what the season looks like for the Cowboys. I said going into Saturday that for me at least, anything short of a Big 12 championship appearance would be a disappointment for Oklahoma State based on a defense that returns a ton of starters, a ton of experience, even in the second group. This is probably the, the ha, this defense has more depth than maybe they've ever had in the history of the school, potentially, which is, is pretty remarkable. And you pair that with two guys that could be award winners at their position with Chuba Hubbard and Tylen Wallace, an experienced quarterback. And what we saw on Saturday was an incredible disappointment. Yeah, now I'm not a doom and gloomer, and I, I try to look at things, you know, out of the lens of we've only seen four quarters of football, and we've only seen a possession and a half where they had their quarterback. So I think it is sort of hard to break that down. Now, you could look at the offensive line play, and you go, oh, there's these, and they got all these problems, and maybe that's true. Um, but I'm not I'm not a doom and gloomer. I think, you know, Casey Dunn said after the game uh, that they were kind of shocked. Uh, on the sideline when Sanders went out. You know, you've prepared all summer, and here you are, first possession, first quarter, first game of the season, and your starting quarterback goes down. I understand that that is a little bit shocking. So I'll give them a little bit of a break, and and I asked somebody else this question. Let's just say that, you know, they won 16-7. to What if they had won 31-7? to Would we be sitting here having these exact same conversations in doom and gloom? And I think the answer to that question is no. And it's totally realistic for me to think if Spencer Sanders stays in that ball game, they win at least 31 to seven. Cause um, so, I mean, who knows? Uh, they do have questions. They obviously have to get better and they have to play better at offensive line. But I did say this also before the first game. And I think it's, it's going to hold true with just about every conference in all across the country all year, be prepared for some bad because COVID has taken all the practice out of the spring. It's taken most of the practice out of the summer. It's taken guys in and out of the lineup every single day. And where you're going to notice that most is offensive line, defensive line, secondary play. So expect some bad football. So the fact that we saw some bad football out of OSU, they look like guys hadn't been preparing together. That doesn't surprise me. It surprised me a whole lot more when OU the week before looked like a machine I thought boy I expected to see some sloppy football because we've really seen that across the country now it's really been highlighted in the big 12 but we've seen that across the country there have been some bad football being played so I'm not a doom and gloomer they're gonna have to be better than that certainly moving forward Um, figuring out their quarterback situation is gonna help them a lot um, here moving forward and it's certainly gonna help them a lot if Spencer Sanders plays but at least as far as a backup goes, it's pretty obvious they were playing the wrong guy. I know why they played him. He he had just been, he had played college football. Let's not throw the 18-year-old kid in, into the mix, you know, at the beginning of the season. But that's pretty clear. If, if they have a problem with Sanders moving forward, they're going to have to play Shane Illingworth, right? So I'm not doom and gloom. Is that realistic? Okay, a lot to unpack there. Let's start with yeah, the offensive true, line. Right? I, I went for a while. Yeah, yeah, no, no worries. Um, that's you know, that's the good thing about this format is is we can, uh, you know, we're not under a clock. We don't have to that's worry true. about taking the the segment breaks and all that. Break this down. Um, okay, let's start with the offensive line. 
My concern, and, and look, I, I'm, I'm with you as far as the offense and understanding that Spencer Sanders isn't there. That's, you know, that, that is going to make this thing look a lot uglier than it, it would have otherwise looked. So you have to understand that out of the gate. I do think it's concerning, though, that no matter who's at quarterback, you do have Chuba Hubbard, you have experienced offensive linemen. The fact that there was not really a point in the entire game where consistently you felt like running the ball was an option, that you could fall back on just running the football. And I'm not even talking about scoring a bunch of points. I'm just talking about maybe getting a first down or two and and giving the defense a break. They could never even do that. And I get that Bullock was also an issue and there was zero respect for his ability to throw the ball. But at some point, that running game, if it's if it's in fact one of the best in the country and Chuba Hubbard is one of the best in the country, at some point, you're going to face a situation where teams say, I don't care about what you're going to do in the air. We're going to prevent you from running the football and you're just going to have to win that battle. And against a Tulsa team that's not been able to practice, that's had some significant injuries defensively, they were never really able to do that, never able to just even move the chains a couple times before you punt, that to me was a big red flag. And I, I am worried about that part of it. Yeah, hey, I, I, I totally get that. And um, if they don't play better on Saturday, they're going to have a hard time winning that game too, and certainly every game mover. I would expect that part of it to get better. Again, maybe I'm too yeah. glass half full as far as this goes. I'm just not doom and gloom after four quarters of the first game of the season when they haven't, you know, I, I'm just – We'll wait and see, and and I expect him to play better on on Saturday. But you're right, that is an issue um, against a, a Tulsa team that uh, is not going to have the same caliber of of defensive linemen, and they're going to have some good players, but not as certainly that you're going to see on Saturday. So I I get it. I I'm just more glass half full, yeah. maybe. West Virginia is going to be a good test, I think, as far as that portion of it goes, because their defensive tackles. I was told this about a month ago. Maybe the best group on their football team and as far as interior defensive linemen that might be the best tandem in the in the conference yeah um you know they're gonna pose some problems that that tulsa couldn't and if you can't push around tulsa in that kind of way then you're gonna have problems against west virginia um the one thing we didn't talk about and the reason that that i think osu still has a bright future even if their offense isn't as world class as as we think it has the possibility of being so I think that defense will travel. Yeah, and I think that defense is is for real. Um, I'm not calling them the '85 Bears or you know the heyday of the Ravens group or or whatever, but uh, they have a lot of good football players. And the one thing that I was most impressed by on Saturday uh, that I thought could really be bad is tackling. Well, they tackled, man. They didn't miss tackles. They got guys in space. They got them to the ground. That defense will travel, and it'll keep you in every game you play. Um, I don't care who you're playing. Uh, you hold people to seven points. You've done something in this day and age. So that part of it will travel. And I, I, I think West Virginia is going to have a hard time scoring a bunch of points on Saturday, even if that OSU Agreed. offense isn't great. Yeah. Agreed. And, you know, again, we don't know how good West Virginia is. We do know that probably the bright spot of that team is the defensive line and especially the interior of the defensive line. So from a matchup standpoint, I think we get more answers about Oklahoma State's ability to establish the line of scrimmage offensively in this game. And and maybe 
you know, maybe we lower the flag after the, as far as the red flag, maybe that lowers after a, a better performance against West Virginia, or maybe we're, we're really hitting the panic button. If, if they get completely dominated, I don't know what the answer is. I, I will say this. I think one of my big takeaways from this game was the quarterback situation and how many times we have to hear Alex Kate's name brought up in regards Ooh. to Oklahoma State picking quarterbacks and choosing the wrong guy. And look, it comes out later that Shane Illingworth was in in quarantine and, and wasn't able to practice, and we all understand why initially Bullock was the pick. My question is why it took so long to maybe make that switch because, look, if you want to tell me that the other guy didn't practice at all and you want to go with Bullock, I completely get that, and, and I would do the same thing. But I think we all noticed very, very quickly you weren't going to do anything offensively with Bullock at quarterback, and you at least had to see what the other guy was capable of. And it took them, what, eight or nine possessions, essentially doing absolutely nothing before they finally realized, like, we're behind on the scoreboard. We have to make this change. And I I, I really feel like they would have never made the change if they didn't get to the zero hour where they, they actually did. And then Illingworth comes in and leads them to three straight scoring drives. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, that's the one, you know, look, if you're, if you're going to criticize anything about the Mike Gundy era over the course of time, it is that he, he tends to not always pick the right quarterback to play at the right situation. Now, um, you could go back to, I suppose, playing Bobby Reed ahead of Zach Robinson, although Bobby Reed was a – I think that, that case is a little bit different. But certainly, you know, when people are talking about Alex Kate on social media on Saturday, you know that your day has not gone according to plan. Um, and, and you're right. I, I, that's another one maybe I give them too much of a break on. Like, I get why they didn't play the kid. Right? He hadn't practiced. He got there for spring football as one of the most highly recruited kids in OSU history. And he's going to be there for spring football. He's going to win the backup job. And then they don't have spring football. And then he goes home to California. And then he comes in spring practice and he has some contact tracing with the COVID. And how can we put this kid in the game? Well, look. It didn't take very long before you said, kid, I don't know if you know more than five plays, but throwing it up to the right side to that number two guy is a good play every time. And so that was the first play, throw it up to two, move the chains, and it's clear he just has more juice. So there's no chance. You know, Mike said on Monday, we've got three guys and we'll see who we can put in the game and how we get out of town. They're playing Shane Illingworth. We all know that. Now, there's a chance, and maybe we'll know something more as we go throughout the rest of the week, that Spencer Sanders might be able to play. Maybe. I kind of doubt it. Um, but if he can't, Illingworth is going to play. There's no doubt about it. I think you actually tweeted something along the lines of, at this point, just throwing the ball up 50-50 to Tylen Wallace is a better option than what they were actually doing. That's a good play. Throw it up to two, <laughs> right. and then just say – Buddy, go up and make a play and don't let it get intercepted, but he's going to make half the plays. He's one of the best jump ball receivers in college football. Maybe, you know, a small handful of guys that have ever done it that way. Throwing it up to two, letting him use his body, beating the the guy who's guarding him, that's a good play. Every time, every play. Yeah. I want to hit back on the defense, and and you made some comments about this group traveling every week and this group potentially keeping this team regardless of the offensive struggles in the game every week. I I was told probably about a month and a half ago, 
that this defense was probably was was going to be the best defense in the Mike Gundy era and probably the best defense that Oklahoma State had put on the football field in over 30 years, which is again, I, I know that's not a high bar, but to make a statement like that is pretty bold. So immediately I went from, okay, they have a lot of returning experience to I, I really need to be aware of what that defense is doing because when you get expectations like that, you want to see you know how they react to those expectations because if that's being told to me, they're hearing the same sorts of things and, and they're probably having those those sorts of conversations. I thought they answered in a big way. The only touchdown was a really incredible pass from Zach Smith, uh, which, I, you know, again, we watched oh, the replay man. and it's like, good Lord, Zach Smith just threw as good a pass as you can possibly throw. But for the course of 60 minutes, the defense was outstanding on every single level. And, and that's been another thing that Oklahoma State has not really is experienced. They've had good players. Sometimes they've had good position groups. It never seems like they've been good at all three levels simultaneously. And it never seems like they really have depth at all three levels where you can rotate guys in or if guys get hurt, you have somebody to rely on. It's always kind of been a, you got to worry about the fourth quarter and guys getting tired because the depth is an issue. Or if one person goes down, maybe this whole house of cards just crumbles and that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah, I don't think so. They've got some uh, they've got some high-end talent that they don't always have. For guys, I mean Trace Ford is a guy to me that's talented enough to be a Big 12 defensive player of the year kind of a guy. Guy that plays in the NFL for a decade. Um, getting a guy like Calvin Bundage to run around and rush the quarterback and be a disruptor. Um, Malcolm Rodriguez is just He's just a big-time college football player. I don't He's know if he'll a play it down in yeah. the NFL. But he is a big – I mean, he – like, you you look up college football player in the dictionary, and you just circle his picture, you know. Um, their secondary guys can really play. They are physical and can cover. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting, just like you all summer, you know, all anybody wanted to tell me is how good this OSU defense is going to be. People around the program, oh, you got it. This defense is going to be big time. And I kept waiting for whether it's Mike Gundy or Jim Noah, somebody to kind of put a lid on that and say, wait a minute, let's slow down. We got a lot to prove, yada, yada. And no one ever did. And so I expected a lot out of Saturday. And I think for one Saturday, they lived up to the billing. I, I don't know how much better they could have played. You know, talk about that throw that Zach Smith made. Yeah. Um, Todd McShane on the broadcast talking about, yeah, this kid's an NFL quarterback. He's going to get drafted. So it's not like they didn't play talented skill guys and a talented quarter. They just didn't do much. So I, uh, I tip my cap to that OSU defense, which I think will travel. And no matter what output they get from their offense week in and week out, they're going to be in every game. How do you feel about the Big 12 as we get ready to kind of see everybody for the second time? And in a couple cases, we get to see their their debut. Yeah. Um, well, it, it hasn't performed up to standard, right? Um, you know, Iowa State, I think we keep waiting for Iowa State under Matt Campbell to kind of take that leap. Maybe that leap's not coming. Maybe that maybe you just remember that that is Iowa State and over the course of 100 years – no matter how much and you know, how close you thought they were to really taking the leap into the upper echelon, maybe that's just not going to happen. Um, I do begin to wonder too about Chris Kleiman and, and Kansas State. He's a good football coach, right? Did it at a, a lower level. Maybe that's not going to happen either. It looked like after you know the first week, Oklahoma, um, 
they were a huge favorite going in and they're a huge favorite now. I mean, it, you don't win five of these in a row and they're a big favorite. I, look, they, they're as talented as just about anybody in college football. Texas, I'm curious about Texas. Um, Mike Yersich, OSU fans like to poo-poo him, man. That guy put up big-time offenses. Like They weren't accidentally good with Mason Rudolph and, and James Washington. Mike Yersich is a good football coach. I'm curious to see if if his tutelage of, of Shane Ellinger and that Longhorns group can can make a leap and, and Texas can, you know, we joke about being back. I don't know what back means, but um, one week in the books for Texas, they looked like they got a chance. Yeah, and, and look, we we obviously understand the, the level of opponent. That said, you know, I had a conversation with my buddy Mike Hartage uh, this offseason about what the offense is going to look like and how different it'll be with Mike Yersich, and, and he mentioned the biggest thing you'll notice is they're going to take more shots down the field, and that's yeah. what they did in that opener, and they hit on a bunch of those. I mean, Sam Ellinger has been okay. I think for some of us, he's been better than advertised, and for others... Maybe they hear the Heisman conversation and they don't think he's as good as advertised. Uh, I think he's always just kind of been compared to like a Tim Tebow light. You know, not on the high end as good, but the same sort of, of player. Okay in the passing game, not not necessarily spectacular. Physical runner. When you see him throwing the ball down the field as accurately as as he did in week one, and if they do have some some receivers that are dynamic enough to make plays down the field that's where potentially it opens up the run game even more and they can become a scary offense. I, I, I'm still reserved about where I am with them, but I, I think it's worth keeping an eye on as far as that offense being more aggressive in the pass game. And if, if they are not only more aggressive, but successful with, with the aggressiveness, then they are potentially concerning. Yeah, I, I mean, I, look, I know they played UTEP, but they did what you're supposed to do to bad teams. Yeah line up and beat the crap out of them man that's what texas did so you know you can look at opponent and i watched ou playing and and ou played a much worse team than than texas did but they did what they're supposed to do they could have beat them 100 to nothing if that's what they didn't want to do texas could have won that game 70 to whatever i mean so that's what you're supposed to do to bad teams that's why people are disappointed um in the way oklahoma state played a little bit now i think tulsa is the best of the three teams that we're talking about Certainly, but um, OU and Texas, they played teams they were supposed to dismantle, and they did exactly that. Yeah. Uh, Dallas Cowboys. Dude. (laughs) Dude. It's been two weeks into the season, and I'm like, I'm experiencing all kinds of emotions. I don't even know how to feel other than I feel like they should be 0-2. I feel like I should kick my own ass for allowing myself to buy into the expectations. I I will double down on this. I said going into the season, I think this is from top to bottom, the most talented group that Dallas has put on the football field since the 90s. I still believe that's true, but I think there are some issues that I I was maybe not expecting. And maybe the biggest issue is for, for in some layers of this team, it looks like the same group that Jason Garrett was coaching and we didn't really get a whole lot of change. Yeah, I'm, look, man, Mike McCarthy was supposed to be a tremendous over over Opie, man. And, and in two weeks, I haven't seen that. Um, all he did was do questionable things on Sunday. I mean, me and you are texting back and forth. What is he doing? Um, but they're, hey, man, you don't apologize for winning. And so uh, no such thing as a bad win in any league, certainly in the NFL. I think 
the concerning part for me in watching Dallas is that Tyron Smith's hurt again and that they got all kinds of issues, it, it appears, on their offensive line. And that's no way to play football, especially when you, you think you can just bludgeon people with Zeke. Um, but I think Dak Prescott turning into – I don't know how many quarterbacks in the NFL I would pick ahead of Dak Prescott right now, but it ain't many. He's been, he's been really good. And so if they can work on a, some of that offensive line, then they still have a chance to win a bunch of games. But as far as being Super Bowl competitor and all that kind of stuff, I mean, I, I hadn't seen anywhere close to that. The good thing, Colby, the good thing for Dallas is that they play in the NFC East. That's they true. Have to play anybody That's true. Good all year. I mean, they're probably all you got to do is beat a bunch of bums. I mean, by default, the they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah. Philly's probably the best team and they're 0 2. So um, that's probably the best thing going for Dallas is that they play in the division that they do. God, it, I, I had them as. So I didn't have them in the Super Bowl, but I had the Saints beating it, them in the NFC Championship game. And I'm, I'm generally Mr. They're going 8 and 8. This is going to be another disappointing season. I'm not even going to get excited myself. And I just hope for the best. And if it's better than 8 and 8, then I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> And I bought into everything, and now, you know, we're two weeks in, and I'm like, these bums, what the fuck are they doing? Uh, you know, and I'm ready to throw shit at my TV. That said, again, I, I think they're still talented. Play calling has got to be better. I felt like they took a step in the right direction against Atlanta, it, simply because we saw some creativity in the play calling that we didn't see in yeah. week one. I thought week one yeah. was as vanilla and dull and boring as you can possibly get from a play calling standpoint. So we saw we saw Kellen Moore mix things up. I don't know how much of that was the influence of Mike McCarthy after he kind of felt the wrath of of the Cowboy Nation in week number one. But th they changed things up. We saw some different approaches offensively, uh, which is good. And and you know what, Dalton Schultz I think was a pleasant surprise in week number yeah. two. C.D. Lamb, you got a glimpse of what he could be in this offense in week number two. He's going to be incredibly dangerous. The play where he goes over and catches oh my it gosh. Unreal. Game I mean, get out of here, man. That's big time. Yeah, I mean, Michael Gallup was pretty much invisible for most of the game. Yep. And we know what, what he's capable of. I mean, that offense has so many weapons that if, if, they're, if they're able to just stay out of their own way, offensive line issues or not, they're going to score points. Now, are they more deadly when they're going to have Lyle Collins and, and Ty, a healthy Tyron Smith back? 1,000%. But you can see with, with all the weapons they have in that offense and not being able to really do anything with Dak Prescott throwing the ball down the field from the pocket because of the tackle issues, they're still able to do a lot of things offensively because of the playmakers. So that part of me is not, not too concerned if, again, Kellen Moore continues to be creative and not as predictable as he he was in week number one defensively though dude good lord that is like i'm red flag the the interior of the uh -oh. defensive line is a massive problem i'm shocked the that, that the atlanta falcons didn't hammer the run game as much as as i thought they were going to and and i'm i'm pleasantly surprised that uh todd Gurley didn't end up with a monster game but even in the pass coverage just how many blown assignments were there on saturday or Sunday. Yeah. No, no, no. That, that's an issue. They, uh, a couple of things. Um, they haven't gotten pressure on the quarterback. Uh, you know, that's what we were told all offseason. They get all these guys, oh, they're going to rush the pass, so they're just going to kill people. Now, the Rams did a really good job getting the ball out of Jared Goff's hands um, and, and didn't allow him to do that. But Matt Ryan had a lot of time to throw in a, in a lot of different situations. And 
I mean, Calvin Ridley is still open on every single play. I mean, so we knew there were potential for problems in the secondary. It reared its ugly head in a big way in the first two weeks of the season. If they don't get pressure on the quarterback, then those guys are going to get exposed week in, week out. And then here we are, Leighton Vander Esch gets hurt in the first game of the season. I never count on Sean Lee to do anything because he's, you know, he was hurt for a decade. Um, but Vander Esch, you hope, is not that guy because he's as talented as anybody playing his position in football. But um, it's pretty clear that they're going to have to outscore people. Now, with all the guys that they've got out wide and running back and Dak Prescott, maybe they can once they get the offensive line healthy and sorted out. But that defense, you know, we've seen it so many times over the last seven or eight years. They can be ahead in the fourth quarter and – Aaron Rodgers gets the football and you just know you go, well, I don't even need to sit through this. I know how this ends. And it does just about every time. And so I'm, I'm prepared for that. They're going to play somebody in the playoffs and they head. It's probably going to be the Packers because that's just how symmetry works. And Aaron Rodgers is going to get the ball. He's going to go right down the field. They're going to be Dallas. And that's going to be that. Look, 2020 has been brutal enough. If we have to suffer another playoff loss to Aaron Rodgers, that might be the end for me. Dude, just bank on it. I mean, this is going to happen. And then, and it's going to happen to Mike McCarthy, which would make Aaron Rodgers literally the happiest guy. He's like, oh, we get to play Dallas again. They can't stop me. And we get to beat Mike. Oh, this is, this is beautiful. By the way, why is Earl Thomas still sitting at home without a job? And are you, are, are they still trying to double down? on that whole haha Clinton Dix wasn't good enough to play for us thing? I guess, man, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe, maybe Earl Thomas can't play anymore. Maybe he's just too, I don't I mean, know. He was but still it, really it, good last year. That would be a pretty uh, drastic no, drop you. off. Yeah. On, on a really good team. Um, they, they clearly don't, he's clearly asking for a bunch of money and they don't want to pay him that right now. If they had lost on Sunday and go to Owen to desperation creates opportunities for things like that happening and and so maybe Dallas isn't quite desperate yet but it appears they're headed towards desperation that's just my guess I don't know if you have Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf on any of your fantasy teams but no Dallas plays Seattle next week and and just quick PSA to anybody out there that, that likes fantasy football play those dudes oh they're they're gonna be open Russell Wilson's <laughs> gonna throw for three bills and four TDs like this is happening. So if Dallas has any chance to win, they're going to have to score a bunch of points. Yeah. I've already set myself up to understand that this is probably going to be one of those like 42, 31 type games where Dallas is going to get behind early because they're going to have some bad penalties on third down. They're going to have a couple of turnovers and put themselves in this hole. And unlike Atlanta, Seattle's not going to allow them to climb back in and they're just they're gonna they're gonna look good offensively at the end of the day because they're gonna keep scoring a bunch of points late but it's probably gonna feel like one of those games where Seattle is always just kind of an arm lengths ahead of of the Cowboys oh I Russell Wilson is gonna light them up I mean he is gonna light them up now you know maybe Dallas can hang in it if they don't turn it over I mean that was the thing on Sunday they played five minutes and fumbled like six times how is that even possible? I don't think I've ever seen that in an NFL game. Um, so if they don't do that, that's their hope to stay in the game. But, I mean, I got so much respect for what they do up in Seattle, man. That that uh, that group and Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, I still can't believe Pete Carroll is as good an NFL football coach as he is. But, I mean, um, 
I, that's a game that I just – it's hard for me to envision Dallas because every time they play a team like Seattle or the Saints or one of the really upper echelon teams, that the team that you think, right, this is Dallas's chance to kind of put themselves in with the Packers or the Saints or the uh, the Seahawks or whoever it may be, they never win that game. They never win that game. And so I don't see that happening on Sunday. Part of what's been frustrating about the the Dallas Cowboys over the last five or six years, and this I put a lot of this on Jason Garrett, and maybe this wasn't a Jason Garrett issue because I expected this to change under Mike McCarthy, and it hasn't at least in the first two weeks. How many times have you watched a Dallas game, even in, in those games against teams like the Saints, where you feel like the talent level matches up pretty well, but Dallas just shoots itself in the foot so many times throughout the course of the game, whether it's turnovers or bad penalties on both sides of the football. You know, they're notorious for holding calls on big offensive plays. They're notorious for special teams mistakes. They just do these things over the course of a game where that's the difference in the game. Maybe they play somebody close. Talent on both sides seems to measure up, but those turnovers and penalties are generally the difference in Dallas beating the good teams. I felt like for so long, Jason Garrett just didn't have this team as disciplined as they should have been, and that was the reason why over and over and over you see that team doing the same things. We're two weeks in, and it's still the exact same scenario. It's still this team committing tons of bad penalties, tons of turnovers, and shooting themselves in the foot. They are their own worst enemy over and over and over. Well, you can't put the ball on the ground. I mean, that's that you start right there. Um, you know, I think they've accepted some of the Tyron Smith false start penalties because he gets about two a game. I don't, I, it's amazing to me how many of those he gets. The ones that have to go away that are just so gimme are the offsides. I mean, how many times yeah. a game must we see an edge rusher jump the snap? It's a free play. Third and 10 goes to third and five, and all of a sudden they convert. Um, yeah, you're right. Usually you think that's 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 head coaching. You know, that's not being disciplined enough one way or another in practice. And in a lot of ways, that is the difference between Dallas and a team like Seattle. Um, they're capable offensively um, and talent-wise, but they do shoot themselves in the foot. Maybe And, and maybe that's just been going on forever. Maybe that's Jerry. Is it Jerry? It could be. I like. I don't know what the answer is. is I thought Dallas that was a Jason Garrett the, thing, and is clearly, it the Pac-Man strip club vibe that they have going on there in Big D. I mean, really. Yeah, yeah. It's they just yeah. They're not. They're not. I think super aware of the details and and the small things that make teams great, and that's been the separator from Dallas to everybody else. That's why they continue to to underperform over the course of sixty minutes. You can't make more mistakes than other teams that are at least as talented as you or or maybe more talented. I mean, we see da- Dallas struggle with teams that we know the Cowboys have more talent than, and then it becomes the X factor when that, that talent level might be even or Dallas may be looking up a little bit. Yeah, um, and, the, and just, you know, we talk about talent level and separation between the really good teams and Dallas. Clearly, Dallas is a super talented team. But the difference between the good teams and the bad teams in the NFL, I mean, it's... It's like so minimal. So the difference between winning and losing, I mean, half the games come down to last two minutes, three-point game. We're going to kick a field goal to win or lose. I mean, that's the margin for error in the NFL. And when a team that's not disciplined and when you're among the league leaders in penalties, you know, we always – for years and years it was like the Raiders. 
They lead the league in penalties. Well, yeah, they're four and 12. That's exactly what you get teams that lead the league in penalties. And so Dallas has that vibe. And if they're going to make any kind of leap ever, you know, you thought maybe just the head coach change would be a difference. And maybe we'll see that it will. Maybe we'll see some things in the NFL that we see in college where just the continuity and the same players over and over and over throughout the course in this COVID deal will work itself out. But in two weeks, we haven't seen that for Dallas. By the way, how about Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins? I, I oh said I God. said on a radio hit last week, DeAndre Hopkins going to the Arizona Cardinals might be the best thing to happen in 2020. Dude, Kyler Murray is a dude. Like, I I thought he had a chance to be a good player. Uh, but he is like I, he is a dude. Um, I don't know if Cliff Kingsbury can coach a lick, but Kyler Murray is going to keep that going for like a decade. Um, and then you know you get a guy like Hopkins and and all the offensive things that they can do. Uh, and I, I will give Kingsbury a lot of credit for being just being creative and, and being to use a guy like Murray in the run game and the pass game. But you know Kyler will do some things every once in a while that you that Lamar Jackson will do for Baltimore and he's a better thrower I think than Lamar Jackson on, by, on, by a on decent margin draft. I think yeah um you know Lamar Jackson does a good deep ball and he can do some things running and, and Baltimore looks like the best team in football but Murray I mean he looks like a spitting like Kyler Murray is a legit MVP candidate and I just didn't see that coming yeah in year two I know with still, I think, a team, when you look at their offensive line, that was my big worry about him in year one. Not, I, I thought he could have success, but when people ask me, should he win the rookie of the year, my answer was, I maybe, if the offensive line protects him, I don't know that he's going to have the opportunity to be that guy because he may be under siege all year yeah. long. And we've seen what that looked like for Baker Mayfield in Cleveland, but not only his ability to stretch plays, not take hits, but, I mean, when he... he when he is clean, the dude's as good as anybody in the league. I mean, he's he's just been phenomenal. I think the most impressive thing that he does, and, and you mentioned it right there, like is he doesn't take hits. He's like every time you watch Barry Sanders run way back when, you're like, well, that guy never gets hit. He said he gets tackled, but he never gets hit. And that goes back to his days at Oklahoma. I mean, he's running around and he's moving, and and, and then if he gets in, in a bad situation, he'll slide and fall down. He's really heady that way, and he just – he can manipulate his body one way or another that he never gets hit very hard and he doesn't make mistakes. And I give that guy a ton of credit. It's, I mean, obviously you see the talent. He's the number one high school recruit in the country. He's a Heisman Trophy winner and, and all the things. But in a league full of freaks, like the NFL is full of freakos, man. And he is, he's like a freak among freaks. And um, I, I just didn't see this coming this soon for that team to be 2-0 and um, in what might be the best division in in the NFL, you go, wow, uh, they got chance. They got chance to be good for a long time with him playing quarterback. How about Baker? Where are you at on Baker and the Browns? Hopeful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hopeful. I, you know what? That I that I think describes every human being in the state of Oklahoma when asked that question. Like I, that was that personifies, I think the just the idea of what what you want for Baker, but man, it's, you know, at, at least he looked good on Thursday night. I mean, it no, was the Bengals, I, but hey, yeah, I mean, he played the Bengals. So you're winning's not easy in this Bengals. league I mean, against anybody, but yeah, you got to understand that. Yeah. Um, I think their game plan for him was much better. Um, 
you know, where, where Baker gets in trouble in the NFL is what he could do in college is buy time and run around and go backwards and go backwards and get to the sideline. Like at some point he has to sort of the clock off and he just has to live to fight another down because he throws too many interceptions and he gets them in too many bad plays. And, you know, even if they get a, a good run, you know, uh, he'll try to buy time, and all of a sudden, second and two goes to third and eight really fast. I'm hopeful for Baker because we watched him play. He's super fun to watch of his attitude and his swagger, and he's a talented guy. So if he can get rid of some of those mistakes, and I think the thing that will help the Browns the most is if they stop making it a Baker team and they make it a Chubb and Hunt. That's where they can be really good. And they got two – very good running backs and an offensive line that should be able to do some things for them. But too often, fall in love with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield. And if they get away from that and let the two running backs be their team, then I think they can take a leap. Uh, where are you at as far as if the Browns are having to start making the decision on Baker Mayfield being their guy – or again, I mean, this is year three. Yeah. At next year, they're going to have to make that fifth year option. Yeah. Are you, I mean, if you're a part of the Browns organization, are you open to potentially looking in other areas or are you still maybe waited out this season and, and see how he performs? Because again, it's, it may, it may not be fair in the NFL, but you, your clock is ticking. I mean, from day one, you don't have a lot of time to establish yourself as the guy and, and look to, to Baker's credit, you know, he's he's done some good things. He, he was incredible in year number one. He's had four head coaches. He's had four offensive coordinators. The offensive line has been patchwork since he got there. And, and those are all things that I think we all understand about maybe why it's been a struggle for him to consistently put a good product out there. But, I mean, the powers that be aren't evaluating all that stuff. They're just simply asking the question, can this guy get it done for us long term? And I don't know. I, I think this is do or die very, very soon. Don't they aren't they pot committed already to Baker though? I mean, you draft a guy number one unless he proves he can't play. Yeah, you have to go with him. I think. I mean, I, I, unless he proves he can't play, and I think you you gave Baker a lot of excuses just now why yeah. he hadn't lived right. up to the hype. You know, um, starting with his offensive line and starting with the fact that he's had four head coaches. So, I think I think you first your organization you draft somebody number one, man. It's hard to give up on them and in that early of a, a tenure, especially at quarterback, um, I think they, they have no choice but to be patient and try to build with the offensive line. I think the problem for the Browns offensively is that they started building it the wrong way. They, they started building it with wide receivers instead of offensive linemen. Yeah. And, you know, the teams who are really good do it the other way around. Yeah, there's no doubt. Look, I, I talked to a guy that covers the Browns, and he said that he thinks this year is do or die for Baker. Um, again, you know, after year four, you get that fifth-year option for those guys. So that goes a long way. And, I mean, this year goes a long way in deter determining whether or not they're go going to evaluate him as a fifth-year option guy. But, you know, we, we can look at a similar situation with Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, who were number one and two. And, I mean, they got into year three, and it was like, you got to start showing us something, and... Both teams had to move on. I think Baker's shown more than Jameis Winston. 
Uh, Winston, I mean, you talk about a guy that makes mistakes. Holy yeah. smokes, he throws. He likes to throw it to the other team. I think Baker's shown us more than either one of those guys. And I think I, I would agree with that. Yeah. He's, he's more talented. Um, I totally get the clock is always ticking. But if you're the Browns, what are you going to do? You're just going to you're going to cut him and then try to draft somebody else number one. I mean, I maybe that's what they're going to do. It just seems to me that he Baker has played well enough to continue to move forward, and uh, and they don't have a choice uh, unless you just yeah. admit that we're we're four or five years away again. Yeah, that's hard to do. So I, I think I he's mean, clearly the guy for the rest of this year, and I think he's the guy next year. But yeah. if they don't, if he doesn't show much more this year than what we've seen. I think going into next year, it's it's going to be understood. This is probably his last season in Cleveland, and they're going to start at least looking for where they're going to to take their shot for the next guy. No, I agree with that. Yeah, you get through next year, and four years in, you haven't shown enough um, to be stable as as the starting quarterback. Then I think all bets are off. But yeah. as we sit here in week after week two in year three, I mean, what we're talking about is you know, 30 games away. Yeah. So he's going to get another 30 games. I think we're both saying the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, that thing has just been a disaster. And I, I look, I was in the camp that thought Baker was going to be that guy that was bigger than the Cleveland shit storm that has been there for decades. And that he was going to be the guy that wouldn't maybe get consumed by the suckage <laughs> And yeah. like, I'm, I'm kind of at the point where even though I know he's the ultimate chip on the shoulder guy, and even though I know he's the ultimate believe in himself, you know, some, some even call him arrogant to a degree, you can only go through so much before you start to have that self-doubt and before, you know, all the, all the stuff that you don't want a quarterback thinking starts to creep in your head. And I'm worried that Baker's getting close to potentially reaching that point in Cleveland. Could be, could be. Um, but again, we've played two games. They yeah. won one of those games in yeah. a game that I think he played really well. He was, um, yeah, he was really game, good against Cincinnati. Yeah. The other game, they played the best team in football and a team that's, you know, the team that might go 14 and two or something stupid like that, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I think Baker's been okay. Yeah. Um, he's not one of the, the best quarterbacks in football, but um, I, I think he's been good enough to, to remain the starter. I mean, how long has Matthew Stafford been the starter in 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 uh, in Detroit and not won a playoff? I mean, he's been the starter in Detroit for like thirty years. Yeah. I think Matthew Stafford played in the eighties, you know, in college, <laughs> Island Park, you know, in Texas. So yeah, I mean, um, you don't have to win at a super high level to remain starting quarterback. Baker. I mean, the one thing you can say about him, he still has one of the elite arms, I think, in the NFL. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not, and I'm, you know, you. I'm not worried about Baker's confidence ever. That guy's irrationally confident when he gets out of bed, you know, and that's that, and that's how he made himself is his irrational confidence. He thinks he's Kyler. He thinks he's like the number one recruit in the country. And so he wakes up out of bed thinking he's the best player. I'm not worried about that, but he's going to have to play better. And at least after, you know, the second week they get a win. I think he played very well. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting storyline to keep a track, keep track of the rest of the season. Um, you know, again, he's, he's beloved here. He's probably got to be Sooner fans favorite former Sooner, right? Like, is he, he's number one on that list, right? 
I, yeah, I mean, um, I think he's the best OU football player ever. Okay, there you go. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he's the best OU football player ever. What he put together as quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, twice in the playoff, three times Big 12 Player of the Year. Um, the attitude, the swagger, what he gave to Oklahoma, the flag plan. I mean, all the things. Um, the handlebar mustache in Bedlam. I mean, those things are and, – and so I think he's the best OU football player ever. Um, I love watching him play, man. I, I root for him. I didn't go to OU, didn't grow up an OU fan, but I root for that guy because he's super fun to watch. And so I really – I want it to work out every time I watch the Browns. And since the Browns are on our TV every single Sunday – because that's what the local affiliate picks to put on. Um, I get to watch Baker a lot. <laughs> there you go. What the hell was the Redskins, or actually, sorry, that's a Washington football team versus, who was it, Philly last week? How the hell did that get the nod in this market? I don't know. Uh, You're the TV guy. Explain that one to me, because I was dude, I was like, hey, I don't work at the Washington, at Philly? Stadium. What the hell? I, I don't. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. We get a lot of bad football games here just yeah. in, in the regional. And, and uh, I would think we would get a much more – and maybe it was because, let's see, Kansas City played at night. Was there not – was that like – I forget what the slate was uh, early, but um, I remember it was uh, it was Philly and the Giants, right? Or Washington and the no, Giants? No, week one was Washington-Philly. Okay. And I, I just thought – I mean, that's probably the least attractive game of the did, entire slate in week one. Did, uh, hey, I know that the station that puts those games on usually picks their favorite former OU player. Yeah. And whatever team he plays for, that's who the game we're going to get. And so that's why we get a lot of Baker. Maybe that's before Adrian Peterson got cut. They had to make that determination. <laughs> and they said, we're going to we're gonna put on the there Adrian. You I'm, you think I'm joking about that. I'm dead serious. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing because I know you are. I'm pretty sure that that's just my guess. Yeah. That's yeah. my guess. Yuck. Um, okay, let's let's go from one favorite to another. Where does Billy Donovan rank on the list of all-time great Thunder coaches? <laughs> I mean, it's a short list, but I'm kind of putting you under the uh, under the magnifying glass here. Well... Because you kind of have, like, one choice or the other. Uh, that's a tough question. I think Billy's a better coach than Scott Brooks as far as okay. the MEOs and... And all the things I think Scott's, I think Scotty's greatest skill actually is dealing with the locker room, which is no small feat, man. That is, some say uh, that's the I most important trait Jackson's, of an NBA head coach. Bill Jackson's greatest skill was not, hey Kobe, you go here and Shaq go here, and we'll put MJ and Scotty. Like that wasn't his greatest skill. His greatest skill was managing egos, and so I think that Scotty's greatest skill and and young players too um but i think billy's a better coach and and fit for the way you want to play and designing a play and, and getting the most out of your team so that's a tough one i would pick scott brooks i guess just because the success was off the charts but that's hard for me too because you look back to 2016 and bill and billy had this team three times within 48 minutes of the nba finals um, and then in a game that they should have won um, in game six, you know, that we go back to that we'll talk about forever, which is a sad thing. And we got to talk about that forever, but that's just the way sports are. Um, but I, I guess it's hard for me not to pick Scotty just because his tenure was longer. His success was more. And that's probably not fair to Billy, right? Like 
that's not fair to Billy. Billy didn't have as good of teams. He had one team and, and took him to the brink of the NBA Finals. So Billy Donovan, now the head coach of the Chicago Bulls, what do you make of all that? Because there was, you know, myself included, a lot of theories as to why he would leave the Thunder coming off of, of what was an incredibly successful season based on the expectations. He opts out. He's now with the Chicago Bulls, another team that is in rebuild mode. It's not a talented roster. Like, now people want to know, like, did he just not like Oklahoma City? Because the expectation was he didn't want to go through a rebuild. I think they're different scenarios, but I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, I don't think it's that he didn't like Oklahoma City. I don't think it's that he didn't like the Thunder. I don't certainly don't think him and Sam's working relationship was other than really positive. Um, I think they worked really well together, actually. Um, I think conversation went something like this, you know, um, Billy goes to Sam and they're talking about a new deal. And and I think Sam Presti made it very clear he wanted him back. Um, so what are we doing, Sam? You know, what's what's the future? Um, I know we've got to rebuild and retool, but what, you know, where do we think we're going? Is this a two-year rebuild? Is this a five-year rebuild? And then in two years, we're going to try to make, begin to make a push again, or is this, and I don't have the answer for Billy. And so what do you get in Chicago? You get a more desperation and they're probably closer with a guy like Zach Levine kind of being on the, the verge of being a, a star. And so they told Billy, we think we're a couple pieces away from really getting into the Eastern conference conversation. And, and that makes more sense. So I understand that, you know, Billy's, you know, mid fifties, his clock is ticking as far as the NBA goes. So he wanted a situation right now where he thought he could win sooner, where there's more of a determined, predetermined direction where you look at Oklahoma city, like Billy could say, Sam, what do you think is going to happen with Chris? Sam's going to go, Billy, I don't know. You know, really? Yeah. Uh, what's going to happen with Gallo? Are we going to try to resign him? Well, we don't want Gallo long-term, but maybe we could sign Gallo for a year and trade him at the deadline because that's going to be his best chance to get a bigger contract. And so there's just so many more questions with Oklahoma city, what their team is even going to look like in January. Yeah. We have no idea. So that's for me, my take. I think the relationship was good. I think Billy would have signed up for five more years had they had a real determined future but Sam didn't want to lie to him and didn't want to tell him something that he clearly didn't know and that's why Billy went a different direction I think Billy Donovan's stock is probably never going to be higher than it is right now could be when you consider what he did with this team that nobody expected to even make the playoffs much less mm -hmm. compete in the playoffs the way that they did so if you're looking at this from a what's best for Billy Donovan situation you're evaluating how people view the job you did and if you come back next season the bottom line is you're going backward if if you're not bringing back Danilo Gallinari if if you trade Chris Paul, and that's a big if, but I think that's a very real possibility. And and look, I, I've I've had several conversations. Some people disagree with me on what you do with Chris Paul. The bottom line is, it's a very real possibility that Chris Paul isn't on the team next year. And then yes. you have decisions to make with Dennis Schroeder going into the last year, Stephen Adams going into the last year, and and you know I'm not trying to debate that the th that the Thunder's core pieces aren't still with SGA and Baisley and and. Lou Dort, I'm not debating that maybe that's a better 
foundation than what Chicago even has right now. Because Chicago's not a good team. They don't have a lot of talent. You mentioned Zach Levine as the centerpiece there, but everything else is kind of up in the air for Chicago. But he's starting from the ground floor with zero expectation in Chicago and going forward. If he comes back to Oklahoma City, he's going backward no matter which way you look at it from where he was this season. I mean, they're, they're going to have to move pieces. They're going to have, have to make roster decisions. And I have a hard time believing that whatever they do, they're back in the 4-5 game in next year's playoffs. So that would be a step back. And I think you have to look at the direction you would be going in if you're Billy Donovan. And, and nobody wants to go backward. Even if you're taking a step down to the Chicago Bulls, you're going forward with the Bulls as opposed to going through the teardown and then build back up. Yeah, that, that, that's true. Uh, and a lot of coaches don't, First, they're not good enough, and they don't get the the leash to go backwards and then forwards. I think, right? Clearly, Sam, that would have been. Really, we think you're our coach for the next 15 years, um, so we're going to go backwards here. And, and it's kind of like what Miami did with Spolstra. They went backwards, and then they had to retool and then begin to build back up. And it's what I think Rick Carlisle has done with Dallas. But there aren't very many Rick Carlisles, and I'm not saying Billy Donovan's Rick Carlisle, but. Um, that's that's kind of the model for what you're talking about. Um, I think that's probably true. Um, but again, I, I, it's just impossible to know what that team's going to look like. I think it's likely Chris Paul's not back, but I don't think it's a guarantee Chris Paul's not back. Now, Chris Paul probably doesn't want to come back, and that doesn't have anything to do with Oklahoma City or the Thunder or anything else, but he knows he knows the deal. right? Um, and I think they'll be able to trade Chris Paul in the offseason – because I think there's just going to be too many desperate teams. You know, yeah, only the Lakers or, or the Celtics or the Heat are going to win the title. So, you know, the Clippers, I, the Thunder already took them for a ride. But, you know, the Clippers <laughs> are I – mean, you talk about desperate teams. That's a desperate team. You know, Philly, you talk about desperate teams. That's a desperate team. Oh, they might make bad decisions. Milwaukee. You talk about the final year of Giannis's contract. You talk about desperate teams. They might make bad decisions. And when Sam Presky, Presty can kind of fighting um, and into that desperation mode, the Clippers were desperate this, this summer because they knew if they could get Paul George, they would get Kawhi. Total desperation. And they opened the vault. And so – I think Sam is in a really good strategic place, far better than I think he ever imagined him being when he traded for Chris Paul. Man, I don't think he ever imagined that Chris Paul would play as well as he would, the team would win it at that level, and there'd be this many teams thinking, we're Chris Paul away from winning the title. I also think Sam Presti is a player's GM, and I, I kind of imagine the conversation with Chris Paul when he got here going something like, Give us everything you've got. Be a leader yeah. to these young guys and and show these guys how to play the game the right way. And if you do all that, if I get the right offer that makes sense for us and puts you in a winning situation, then, then we're going to help each other out in that sense. Yeah. Because look, he understands that players talk. And if you're going to, if Chris Paul wants to go somewhere and win and Billy or Sam Presti says, you're under contract. I don't give a damn what you want we're keeping you and that's the bottom line like Chris Paul's telling other players that and players are going to remember that when they evaluate Oklahoma City Chris Paul is going to say you know great things about Sam Presti if they're able to have open dialogue and he says 
you help me, I'll help you. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. I want to put you in a good situation at some point, but the moment has to be right for both of us. And I think it's probably at some point this offseason or maybe before next year's trade deadline. Anyway, all that aside, the Thunder have to now pick the next coach. I'm curious what you think about who that might be. And if I had to bet, I, I would say probably anybody that's currently on the coaching staff is a potential candidate. I would say that's probably true um, or who has been here uh, before, you know, I would say a guy like Rex Kalamian, um, who's the lead assistant for the the Clippers would certainly be someone that I think Sam Presti would call and, and see if that might be the right kind of a fit, but I would guess that it will be an assistant. Um, it, I think it doesn't make a lot of sense for Sam to go get, an established head coach. I've heard, you know, Nate McMillan or some other guy. I don't think it makes any sense to pay a coach, whatever it's going to cost, um, to pay Nate McMillan or Mark Jackson, who wouldn't come to Oklahoma City, but you know what I'm talking about, um, when you're in a total rebuild. That doesn't make any sense to go spend a bunch of money on a coach to get bad and not even expect to win. So I would expect, I would expect an assistant coach and probably somebody that Sam Presti knows – Really well, but here's the thing about Sam Presti that I, I'm always amazed. I mean, Sam, if you go into his office, he's got all these little cards, and it's got every player in the league and like the G League in it, and he he literally knows every player to a T. I mean, he's not winging this stuff, you know. Um, he's very calculated. So Sam's been planning for this possibility for years expecting and hoping Billy would resign but um Sam knows the best guys and he's been around a lot of them whether it was with Scott Brooks or now with the Billy Donovan staff that I would I would expect him to go a guy that maybe casual Oklahoma City fans are not super familiar with but um would be the right fit and an assistant that uh, that Sam thinks can can really come up and win a bunch of games I also don't think it's crazy to think that whoever it is, this this guy's a bridge guy anyway, because we don't know what the future holds. We don't know where potentially you trade Chris Paul. You don't know what assets you get back. There's a ton of draft picks coming up. I just don't think you're making the decision on a head coach for what this team might be in two or three years. So I already get the impression that it's a bridge guy anyway. But secondly, yeah. I think this year you have to be more aware of the financial part of the hire than you ever have because of, of COVID and just, you know, the the financial structure of, of the entire NBA and the losses that everybody has taken. So I, I think because of all that, it makes even more sense that you're probably hiring somebody that doesn't wow Thunder fans and, and potentially somebody that already knows the, you know, the Sam Presti process and, and the whole Thunder situation, which is why I, I circle back to potentially current Thunder assistant, whoever that might be. Yeah, and that's why I brought up Rex Kalamian, yeah. too. I mean, I yeah. think Sam has thought highly of him and has bounced around the league. He was with Toronto and then um, now with the Clippers. I mean, I, he's kind of the first guy that I thought of um, when all of this began to open up. Um, but Sam would certainly know what a guy uh, – he's going to have to work with young players. And that was one of the reasons I actually thought Billy was going to work really well in a rebuild because you get that college background – he can sort of usher these guys through that. And then Sam or uh, Billy coach, you know, obviously to the superstar level as well. And so 
he he could be the beginning, the bridge, and also the end. And that obviously didn't work out. But I would expect a young guy for a lot of reasons. Um, but one of them is certainly what you brought up. I mean, I just don't think there's much motivation to spend a bunch of money on a head coach at this point. Agreed. All right, before I let you run, I've got to bring up the UFC. Um, you are one of the few people that, that enjoys the UFC as much as I do. Love it. I think Dana White and that whole group have done a phenomenal job of, of getting things going and being our sports entertainment when everybody else was shut down. The cards week after week after week after week have just been outstanding. We're getting ready for the next month in Abu Dhabi at Fight Island with some pretty yep. incredible cards, and that's going to conclude with that monstrous Gaethje Habib uh, main event, which I, I, I said a week ago, like I would camp out for a week to be able to watch that fight. I think it's going to be that good. But um, let's rewind real quick to what happened last Saturday night because I thought that was maybe as good a non-pay-per-view card as, as we've had in a long, long time. I agree with you. Um, I, I thought the card was really exceptional. And, you know, you put a guy like Colby Covington who is – Whatever you think of him, man, uh, he's made himself a star. Um, and and Tyron Woodley, who I think, you know, he's one. He for a long time was one of the bigger names in the UFC. Um, now, I, for Tyron Woodley, man, he might not need to fight again. I mean, you know, I got some Johnny Hendricks vibes and some other people, but you know, it's a guy that's been champion and been dominant. And then when it goes, you watch him, and then they get to be not just losing not being outclassed, but embarrassing their themselves and not competitive in a way that they're going to, they're really going to hurt themselves. I thought for Tyron Woodley that he might not need to make that walk again. Now I expect him to fight again, but he probably shouldn't. That was my takeaway. Colby Covington. I mean, he beat him up for five rounds. I mean, beat him up to the point that Woodley is screaming on the floor, my rib, please somebody get me out of here. I mean, you know, yeah. I, uh, please, somebody save me. I tried to make it through all five rounds, um, and he just didn't beat me up bad enough in any of the other four for somebody to stop this thing, but I'm done. And that's what we got from Tyron Woodley on, on Saturday night. De depending on how that fifth round would have gone if the injury doesn't occur, I mean, you're talking about a scorecard that's probably 50-44, or maybe that's another two-pointer, and you're talking about a 50-43 scorecard. Like yeah. I, the injury is probably less embarrassing than that thing reaching a finale and having to stand next to Colby Covington and watch his hand raise when he beat you by six or seven points uh, in, in a rivalry that those guys absolutely despise each other. Tyron Woodley at one point in time was, if not my favorite, among my favorite fighters in the UFC. And it's so disappointing to see him at this level in, in three straight fights, the Usman fight, yeah. Gilbert Burns. He was essentially out there not fighting, getting dominated for five rounds. The same thing against Colby Covington. He's not won a round in, what, his last, like, 15 rounds. He's not won exactly. a single round. It, it, like, I, I made this comparison last Saturday night when I was watching the fight. You remember the scene in Top Gun after Goose dies where Maverick's in the plane and he doesn't want to engage and his new yeah. co-pilot's back there like, get in there, man, get in there. And he's like, it's no yeah. good, it's no good. Yeah. And and then they're in the in the control center and they're like, Maverick won't engage. That's how I feel about Tyron Woodley. He just yeah. doesn't want to get in there and fight anymore. You don't see him just kind of like letting loose and forgetting about everything and just fighting. It's it's a very like cautious, I, I'm, I'm in here to get a paycheck, yep. but not really in here to fight type of approach. And, and look, maybe I'm wrong. That's the impression I get. And it's really unfortunate to see a guy that was once a world champion 
look the way that he's looked in his last few. Yeah, and and it's all I th- the comparison was just spectacular. I mean, you know, uh, and you see that a lot in combat sports, whether it's boxing or UFC. Guy will dominate and dominate and dominate, and then they've seen their own mortality and they get hit, and they've seen their own blood, and it just is never the same. And and maybe that's what we've seen out of Tyron Woodley. And and then at the end of the day, man, like Father Time is undefeated. You yeah. know that that's been the line forever. Father Time is undefeated. Um, but I think certainly with fighting, um, you have to risk a lot more. You have to train a lot harder. And once guys get a little bit fat and happy, once it starts to go the other way, man, that just the, the margin for error between winning and losing those fights is just not very much. And it starts to look bad. And that's the way it looked for Tyron Woodley. And I'm sure he's going to fight again. Maybe he'll end up fighting in Bellator. I hope he's not fighting bare knuckle boxing like Johnny ended up doing and and but it was bad and he probably shouldn't walk the UFC anymore yeah um a guy that I expect to become a, a headliner though Kamzat Shemaev I don't know if you're on the bandwagon or not but I I jumped on after the two wins in 10 days at, at the first fight island trip yeah yeah one punch against Mearshart and now he's already got his next fight scheduled like this dude is scary well, if you want to go through that many fights in a short schedule, man, you're going to get your name out there. Uh, no, nah, he's fun, man. Um, you know, he's certainly one of those guys, Eastern European, um, Khabib, you know, kind of clones. And it'll be interesting to see him. Um, I, I probably am, am not as well versed on, what's his name again? Kamzat Chemaev. Yeah, I mean, I remember the fight, but... Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't have a lot to break All right, down. Write the name honest. down, circle it, just okay. just be on All the right. lookout for All right, I got his next Calm fight because shots. he had the yeah, he had the two he had two first round finishes in ten days when when they made their original trip to Fight Island. Yeah. And you know, there was a lot of hype around him and, and so he stepped up in a big way as far as level of competition. One punch finishes the fight on Saturday night. Yeah. And, and the press conferences are amazing because his his English isn't great. So, and he's very soft-spoken. So he's like, I'm just, uh, I'm just happy to be here and I'm grateful for the opportunity. And I just want to smash faces and I want to smash somebody else's face as soon as possible. And thank you, Dana White, for the opportunity. And let's smash another face next week. And it's like, I love this dude. He just wants to go fuck people up. That's good. I, well, I, guys who just want to beat people up, that's, that's who needs to be fighting the UFC. And uh, that's why I like the UFC so much because it's just, it's full of guys who just want to, kick other people's asses yeah and uh it's why i like to watch colby Co- covington fight because yeah he uh he doesn't care he will get punched and he will punch you in the face and then he will stand up and he will make a lot of people hate him instantly um as he goes and that's what fighting is for me like that's you you can't manufacture that like that's real stuff and so um i'll be watching your boy come what's his name chemaev chemaev okay yeah. i'll be watching for your boy chemaev all right uh, we have two. We have a pay per view this weekend with two yep. titles on the line. Yep. Uh, Adesanya and Costa, who are both undefeated, what middleweights? Yeah. And then look, I thought Dominic Reyes beat John Jones back in whenever that fight was. Me too. My 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 timeline is all messed up, but I can't remember when that fight was. I thought Reyes won. I thought he won the first three rounds, and that was the fight. But Jan Blakovich is pretty legit light heavyweight too. So I I'm excited about these two title fights on Saturday. Yeah, Reyes, um, we saw him in Oklahoma City. Yeah. You know, that was his I, I UFC remember, debut. That was right. Exactly. Yeah. And he he uh he beat um 
oh, dead gun, I can't think. Anyways, um, in, in like 30 seconds. Yeah. And yeah. I remember sitting uh, ringside with you and Sam just going, that dude is scary. And I'm with you. I thought he beat John Jones in that fight. Um, so I'm a big fan of his, and I, I hope he wins because I think he is super-duper talented, and he has he has the kind of John Jones skill. You know, he's ferocious, and his legs – go and and uh, and he'll he'll beat you up and then uh, uh what the headline fight uh adesanya costa adesanya yeah. yeah um i mean that guy anytime he fights man it's must see tv and so those are the two guys i probably think would win those fights but they're two of the most fun guys to watch in the entire ufc because of the, the athleticism and the things that they can do and uh adesanya is obviously uh, from a personality standpoint, I mean, everything Dana White could ever hope yeah. for, you know, that's like his poster boy, you know, Conor McGregor kind of personality. Um, and Reyes isn't that he's a lot more soft-spoken, but those are two guys that anytime they fight, you can sign me up. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, big weekend. We've got another week of NFL football. We've got really, I mean, for the most part, everybody, playing college football this weekend, including all of the SEC powers joining the mix. Big 12 back in action. Um, Like I said, it's the last week of of the regular season baseball run with the expanded playoffs. So a lot more teams like actually have something to win or lose in these next few days. And then, you know, I think that's cool, by the way. It's awesome. Yeah, I think that's cool. Um, I'm a Rangers fan, which means now we went through about a five or six year period, which was uh, which was not normal in Rangers history where they were very good. Uh, they are much more like the Rangers of my youth. Yeah. Um, terrible last place kind of Rangers. And so uh, baseball season, a lot of years starts in April and it's over about tax day, April 15th. Yeah. And so having more teams in it gives more fans um, a reason to pay attention to baseball throughout the course of the summer. So I think that's cool. Is it possible to think a team is going to be bad and then even be surprised by just how bad they are? Because that's where I am with the Rangers. I thought they were going to be bad, but I'm shocked to the degree in which they suck. They are so much worse than I thought, and I predicted them to finish last in the division. Yeah, Like, how is that possible? um, you know, there were people talking about, well, the expanded playoffs. Boy, the Rangers got a better chance in this thing. And um, and somehow they end up with the worst record in the American League. Um, so bad. Yeah. I, I'm about done with John Daniels. You know, I've had about enough of J.D., who I think did a, a nice job early in his tenure with, with Nolan Ryan and then kind of retooled him. And then they won the, uh, the AL West and were the number one seed in the playoffs in like 14 or whatever, 15, I don't know. And then since then, it's gone pretty poorly. Uh, signed Odor to a bajillion-dollar contract. That guy can't play dead. He might not even need to be in AAA, and they're paying him like $15 million a year, and he's terrible. So, um, yeah, like I said, baseball season for the Rangers starts in April and ends about tax day. And so I feel I feel much more at home with being in last yeah, place yeah. than I was when the Rangers were trying to win the World Series and tearing my heart out. I was done with Woodward when he started crying about the Tatis Grand Slam in the eighth yeah, inning, and that was just like the final straw for me on the Rangers this season. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, at least they had stand-up managers before that. I mean, if you're complaining about a guy hitting a bomb, then you yeah. need to go do something else. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's not up there to get out. 
You know, I, that's the one thing about baseball. It's, it's hard to stop from running up the score because the pitcher and the hitter still face off. I mean, the guy's not up there saying, We're, you know what, I'll just, we'll just count me out. Right. I mean, he's hitting. He's one of the best players in baseball. So uh, that kind of stuff, that wears me out, man. You complaining, pro teams complaining about, he, you got to hit a home run. I mean, get out of here. I mean, he should have been fired right then. Yeah, it was sad. It was it was sad and just like the end of, of baseball and the Rangers for me this season. And I've basically watched everybody but the Rangers since. So Yeah, and I, I love baseball. I played baseball when I was a kid and, and growing up, and that was what I was the best at all the way through high school. And, and uh, I love baseball and the nuance of it, but I hardly ever watch it. Um, I like to watch the Rangers when they're not the worst team in baseball. <laughs> um, but, you know, this summer they came along baseball opportunity to play when nobody else was doing anything. And then baseball came back and the NBA came back and the UFC is playing and they're not in the headlines anymore and the Rangers were bad. So they gave me a reason just to not care and not watch. And so I obliged. There you go. There you go. Plus it's football season. So. Yeah, I mean, we're, right, exactly. I mean, I'm, I'm not unless the Rangers are in the World Series, I'll, I'll turn it on. But it's not, I'm not breaking down the World Series for you know the Giants or Cardinals every year, and the Yankees, you know, the teams that actually yeah. have good men. <laughs> man, it was fun. Uh, let's let's do it again soon. A man, dude, anytime. Uh, you know, with the COVID thing, I work at home a lot, and so I need any excuse to let Mama handle. A three-month-old. There you At go. At any point, you know, I get to, I, could, I could escape here for a couple hours, which was outstanding. <laughs> Hopefully, mom's not going to listen to the end of this podcast. Yeah. But yeah. sure, he knows. She knows the right. deal. Yeah. Um, and so, I, I can escape the uh, the reality of everything and, and escape that. So, it's fun. Anytime, man. Let me know. Yeah. Shoot me the text. Just say you need a break. We'll uh, we'll crack open a few beers along the way. And, uh, Dude, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. It's now, great. Now, we're good. So, we got to figure out how to do this, like, even if we can't be like in the same room all that we just go out to the outdoor patio oh yeah and pop a few beers on the the table out there we'll have a good time that'll be fun all right my friend take care all right bud see you thanks again to my guest brian keating sports director koco channel 5 for joining the colby daniels podcast please subscribe to the podcast rate the podcast review the podcast share the podcast all that good stuff don't be afraid to reach out at colby underscore daniels on twitter colby.daniels on instagram just a reminder every saturday throughout the football season two hours before ou's kickoff mike steely and i have pregame coverage so make sure you tune into our live stream once again two hours before every kickoff I will post the link on my Twitter account, Colby underscore Daniels. And on my Facebook account, you can search Colby Daniels Media and you'll find the link there as well. But look for that two hours before kickoff is when we launch and we will have game day coverage for you every Saturday, two hours prior to kickoff. Everyone have a great week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you next time. Podcast is over.